Well, it certainly is a joy and a privilege to be back here again today. I heard about a fellow uh, who used to work for the local radio TV station. And uh, above everything else in this world, he wanted to anchor the news. That was his consuming ambition. Uh, one day, uh, his uh, boss said to him, well, Fred, he said, you'll have to anchor the news today. Uh, old Joe Sick. And he thought to himself, this is my opportunity. I'll show them how it should be done. And he envisioned himself with a coast-to-coast, -coast, nationwide news broadcast, anchoring the news of the world to the nation. But just before he went into the studio, they handed him uh, some news that had just come down the wire. It said that the president of Moldova had been assassinated, and it gave his name. It was one of these Eastern European names, all C's and Z's and W's and X's. And he looked at it in utter dismay. He didn't have the faintest idea how to pronounce that name. He was going to flub it, ruin his great chance. But he had to go in, sat down, turned on the power he was on the air. He said, we have just received word that the president of Moldova has been assassinated. His name, his name is being withheld pending notification of next of kin. <laughs> Doesn't have a thing to do with the message. <laughs> I thought you'd just like to know about it. <laughs> Shall we turn, please, to the book of Ruth? Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife, and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, the name of his two sons, Marlon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. And Marlon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Trust the Holy Spirit will add his blessing to the reading of his word. The great climax towards which this book moves is the birth of a babe in Bethlehem. It is the story of redemption. There are two books in the Old Testament which specialize 
in the story of redemption. The book of Exodus, which sets before us redemption by power. And the book of Ruth, which sets before us redemption by purchase. It's the story of one who was dwelling afar off in pagan darkness. It tells how she was introduced to one who became her Redeemer and her Lord. The story is in three parts. In the first part of the book, we are told how she was sought. In the second part of the book, we are told how she was taught. In the last chapter, we are told how she was bought. When we first meet this woman, she lives completely outside the scope of all God's great and precious promises to his people. She's a member of an alien and a hostile race. She's a Moabite. You'll remember that the law of Moses legislated against the Moabite. It said that no Moabite could have any part in the worship of the living God until his tenth generation. Translated into practical terms, that meant that Ruth could not be saved and her son could not be saved and her grandson could not be saved and her great-grandson could not be saved and her great-great-grandson could not be saved and so on for ten generations. She was not only lost, she was hopelessly lost between her and God as between us and God stood the barrier of God's holy law. And yet this book tells us how God found a way. How God devised a means whereby his banished be not expelled from him. There were five links in the chain that brought her to Boaz. The man who did for her in that beautiful Old Testament picture book kind of a way exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ does for us in a spiritual and eternal way. The first link in the chain that brought her to Boaz was a famine. It came to pass, we read, in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. In other words, the first link in the chain that brought her to Boaz was a sovereign act of God over which she had no control, about which possibly she knew nothing, and about which she couldn't have cared less. An outbreak of famine in a foreign country. It certainly didn't seem to have anything to do with her. And certainly not in her wildest dreams 
would she have associated an outbreak of famine in a foreign country as having anything to do with her spiritual future? I suppose if somebody had told her down there in Moab, you know, there's a famine over in Judah, she would have said, well, so what? Glad it's not here. It had nothing whatsoever to do with her, so it seemed. But it was the first link in the chain that brought her to Boaz. My friend, long before we ever began to think about him, he began to think about us. And if we go back far enough in our own spiritual pilgrimage, we will find way back there, somewhere back in the distant past of our little lives, that something happened. At the time, it didn't seem relevant, but now we can see that it was. The initiative is always with God. And in this case, he sent a famine to the land of Judah, the first link in the chain that brought her to Boaz. The second link in the chain that brought her to Boaz was a family a family moved into her life down there in Moab. They were a family of believers. But having said that, we must qualify it at once. It is true it was a family of believers, but it was also a family of backsliders. The head of the family was a man called Elimelech. His name means, my God is king. But in a very real and practical sense, he denied the sovereignty of God in his own life. He announced one day to his astonished friends and neighbors that he was leaving town and taking his family. He was going to move to Moab. That meant, you see, that he had to move away from the place where God had put his name, where God met with his people. In the Old Testament, everything had to do with a place. In the New Testament, everything has to do with a person. In the Old Testament, you had to be in the land. In the New Testament, you have to be in the Lord. In the Old Testament, you had to be in Canaan. In the New Testament, you have to be in Christ. That's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here was a man, he was in the place that God had chosen to put his name and where he himself dwelt in the midst of his people. And he was going to walk out of fellowship with the people of God, leave the place where God had put his name, and go down to Moab, a land 
under the curse of God. He was a backslider. Oh, I suppose if you'd asked him, he would have said, well, of course, it's quite obvious, isn't it? There's no work around here. There's a famine in the land. I can't find a job. And I've got to think of my family. I've heard that there are great job opportunities in Moab. I'm not going to stay there, of course. I'll be back one of these days. When things get better amongst God's people, I'll come back. He never did, you know. And he lost his family in Moab. That's what usually happens. We lose our families down there. So they were a family of backsliders. But at the same time, they were still a family of believers. Ruth got to know the family very well. She married into the family. And she would sit around the family table listening to Naomi and Elimelech talking about the good old days back there in the promised land. And she would hear about a God to whom she was a stranger. She would hear the story of redemption, how God had put his people under the blood and brought them through the water and gathered them around the table and taken them to Sinai and taught them how to live. She'd never heard anything like that in Moab. They were backsliders, but they were believers. There were things that she would do in Moab they wouldn't do. There were places she would go in Moab they wouldn't go. And as for the demon gods of her people, they left her in no doubt whatsoever what they thought about them. A family. A link in the chain to bring her to Boaz. And that's what God usually does. He brings somebody our way who knows a God that we don't know, who knows a story of redemption that we have never heard, a link in the chain to bring her to Boaz. The third link in the chain that brought her to Boaz was a funeral. Matter of fact, there were three funerals, one right after the other. Elimelech died and Naomi was left a widow and Orpah's husband, well, he died and Ruth's husband, he died. And you see these three widows standing around their sepulchres in the land of Moab, mingling their tears. It didn't seem to make any sense. You know, I dare say at this point in the story, Ruth could have become very bitter. She could have turned to Naomi and she could have said, well, this, this is an example of your God of love. Don't talk about him anymore. I don't want to hear about him anymore, God of love indeed. How can he be a God of love when he took your husband and he took my husband and he took her husband? 
She could have become very bitter against God. Lots of people do when death comes in, and they say hard things about God. God, of course, they don't know. God is too loving to be unkind. And he's too wise to make any mistakes. And he's too powerful to be thwarted. Don't you see there had to be a funeral? The only way that this pagan Moabite woman, under the special curse of the law, could have been brought into the family of God was for her to marry a kinsman redeemer. In order to marry a kinsman redeemer, she had to be a widow. In order for her to be a widow, her husband had to die. That funeral was planned in heaven. It was a link in the chain to bring her to Boaz. But at the time it made no sense. But I suspect, you know, in later years... When she was married to Boaz, that great prince of the house of Judah, I dare say in later years she would say, I bless the hand that guided. I bless the heart that plans. Now throned where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. But at the time, it made no sense. A famine a family, a funeral. The fourth link in the chain that brought her to Boaz was a fear. A great fear sprang up in her heart one day because one day Naomi turned to these two young women and she said, you know, girls, I've just had news from home. God has been visiting his people. That's just an Old Testament way of saying that there had been a revival amongst the people of God. And she said, you know, girls, I've made up my mind. I'm going back home. I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to go back to the place where God has put his name, where he meets with his people. I'm going to get back in fellowship with those who love the Lord. I've been a backslider in Moab all these years. And all it's done for me is to turn me into a bitter old woman. But I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to get back. I'm saying goodbye to you girls. You'll never see me again. This will be goodbye forever. And a great fear sprang up in the heart of Ruth because, you see, the only light she had was going out. It wasn't much of a light, you know, when you stop to think about it. The testimony of a bitter old backslider. Have you ever noticed the advice she gave in her backslidden days? She said to these two girls, she said, they said, we'll come, Mom, we'll come. Oh, she says, I don't think you should do that, she said. Oh, dear me, no. Oh, I can't think of any self-respecting Jew would ever want to marry a Moabite woman. You'd be much better off to stay in Moab. 
You have a much better chance of getting remarried in Moab. I, 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 I don't think you should come with me. In the case of Orpah, it was only too successful. And she said, I think you're right, Mum. I think you're right. I think I'll go back to Moab. And back she went. Back into the dark. Back to the demon gods of her people. And God blots her name out of his book. And Naomi had a had a lost soul on her conscience. I can see her later years when she's back in the land of Canaan. I can see her as she'd wake up at night and put up her hand and feel the place on her cheek where Orpah had kissed her. And she would think of that girl down there in Moab going to a lost eternity thanks to the advice that she'd given in her backslidden day. Terrible thing to be a backslider and have somebody's soul on your conscience. But Ruth was made of sterner stuff and she says, well, Mom, she said, I don't care about getting remarried. I'm coming with you. I want your God to be my God, your people to be my people. I want to know more about this true and living God, the God who reaches down from highest heaven to redeem a people to himself. I, I'm coming. I'm coming. The last link in the chain that brought it to Boaz was a field. You know, it doesn't take long after that when you stop to think about it. In chapter 1, in chapter 2, she's in his field. In chapter 3, she's at his feet. <laughs> and in chapter 4, she's in his family. <laughs> it doesn't take long once you get in the field of Boaz, you know. That's how she was sought. All the way down that first chapter of the book of Ruth, you see God sovereignly at work behind the scenes, arranging everything, motivating, moving, planning, overruling, guiding, step by step. And she doesn't even know that God's at work in her life. She has never heard of a man called Boaz. She knows nothing whatsoever about the law of a kinsman redeemer. This is the sovereignty of God in salvation, working behind the scenes to bring you to the place where you are confronted with Jesus. That's how she was sought. A famine, a family, a funeral, a fear, and a field. In the next chapter, we are told how she was taught. Now, I picture these two women as they arrive back at Bethlehem and settle on the edge of town, some little old shanty that uh, stood there empty, and they took it over and lived there. And I can hear Ruth one day, she says to her mother-in-law, she says, you know, Mum, she says, we're very poor, aren't we? Maybe I should get a job. 
And Naomi would say to Ruth, she would say, well, she said, you know, we've got social security in our country. And they did. They had a very sensible system. When a farmer was reaping his field at harvest time, he wasn't allowed to take it all. He had to leave the corners of the fields. He had to leave what he didn't get on the first sweep through the harvest. That was for the poor. He wasn't obliged to cut it and package it and deliver it. He was obliged to leave it. And there was work. If somebody wanted to work, they could work. Nobody need to starve. You wouldn't get rich on it, but you wouldn't starve on it either. And so Naomi explains all this to Ruth, and she says, Well, I'll start first thing in the morning. And I can see her, can't you, next morning, as she, she, she leaves the little shanty where they're staying, and goes out into the country, and here she is, surrounded by people who know the Lord, and she's a stranger. She's an alien. She's a Moabite with a curse on her by the Mosaic law. And she feels very ill at ease. And she doesn't speak the language of Canaan very well. And she knows what they think about Moabites. I think it took all her courage to go. And people come to a place like this and, you know, they very often feel that they are not one of us. And they are nervous and they don't feel quite at home. We sing hymns they don't know. We refer to books they've never heard of. We talk about truths to which they are strangers. And I can see Ruth as she gets slower and slower and she stops and has a little discussion with herself as to whether she should go on or not. And she can see them in the harvest field singing and bringing in the sheaves and having a glorious time. And there she stands, a Moabite woman, a stranger, accursed of God. And then she makes up her mind, she says, I'll go into this one. I'll go into this one. And up in heaven, you know, God gave the angels a nudge and he said, now you all watch this. <laughs> I mean, of all the fields, look, she chose the field that belonged to Boaz and she'd never even heard of a man called Boaz. Well, she met Boaz and you remember the story, but Boaz quite obviously greatly taken with this woman. In fact, it perhaps would not be going too far to say he was already in love with her. He'd already been asking about her. He knew all about her. He said, all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. He'd been making some inquiries. And you remember what he did? He gave her a big pile of stuff to take home with her. It says that he gave her an ephah. You all look greatly enlightened. <laughs> well, let me help you. An ephah is ten omers. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> well, let me tell you what an omer was. 
When the children of Israel were coming from Egypt to Canaan and, and God sent down bread from heaven, you remember, the manna, angels' food. Every man was allowed to gather an omer. That was as much as a great big strapping helping he-man could handle in a single day, an omer. Well, he gave her ten times that much. And I can see her, she comes back to the shanty and she kicks open the door with her foot and she comes in and dumps this big pile of stuff on the kitchen floor and she says, I'm home, Mom. And Naomi comes running in to see and she says, where'd you get all that? Huh? I mean, she'd seen people glean before, they'd never come home with that much. I think she must have thought that Ruth's old Moabite habits had got the best of her and that she'd been in the barn instead of into the field. <laughs> Where'd you get all this stuff? Oh, Mom, she said, I met a man today. And that set off another set of alarm bells in Naomi's uh, soul. Met a man? What do you mean you met a man? Who is this man? Met a man indeed. Again, she thought her old Moabite habits had got the best of her. What do you mean you met a man? You know, in that day and age, they didn't go around barging into young men. They, all that kind of thing was arranged by the family. What do you mean you met a man? Who is this man? Oh, Mom, she said, I'll never forget his name. His name is Boaz. And instantly the light went on in Naomi's soul. And she begins to teach her. I tell you, Naomi back in fellowship with God's people is a different Naomi backslidden in Moab. The advice that she now gives to this young woman is good and godly advice. And she taught her two tremendous truths. She taught her her, her relationship to Boaz, and she taught her her rest in Boaz. As soon as she heard the name Boaz, she said, Oh, she said, the man is near of kin unto us. The man is near of kin unto us. Do you know that's the great basic fact of the gospel? The man is near of kin unto us. He stepped off the throne of the universe. Second person of the Godhead, uncreated, self-existing, the one whom angels worship, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime, stepped off the throne of the universe, contracted himself to the span of a virgin's womb in order to be born in this very place called Bethlehem, that he might become near of kin unto us. Man is near of kin unto us. Taught her her relationship to Boaz. Son of God became the son of man.
that the sons of men might become the sons of God. That's the very heart of the gospel. At least it's the first half of the gospel. But that's not uh, all one needs to know, you see. It's not enough for me to know that God in Christ has entered into the human family. What I need to know is how I can get into his family. So she not only taught her her relationship to Boaz, she taught her her rest in Boaz. She said, I tell you what you have to do. You have to go to this man. You have to put yourself at his feet. You have to say to him, please, Boaz, I want to be redeemed. I want you to put me in your family. I want to belong to you. I want you to marry me. I want you to do the part of a kinsman redeemer. And Naomi explained this to Ruth, you see. She says, that's what you must do. You must put yourself at his feet. And I can well imagine, you know, that at this point in the story, Ruth could have dug in her heels and she could say, well, I would be too embarrassed to do a thing like that. I, I, I mean, I couldn't possibly do a thing like that. I'm not worthy to come to him. I mean, he's a great prince of the house of Judah, and I'm just a poor, lost Moabite woman. I couldn't possibly do a thing like that. Besides, it's too humbling. Me, go and ask him to marry me. I couldn't possibly do a thing like that. I think I'll wait a little longer. I think about it. But she didn't, you know. She could have made any one of those excuses that people make for not coming to Christ. But she didn't. It's amazing how people will come to church, but they won't come to Christ. They won't take that last step for some reason. But Ruth didn't make any of these silly excuses. She came to Boaz one night. She put herself at his feet and she said, please, Boaz, I want to be redeemed. I want you to put me in your family. I want to belong to you. That's how she was taught. The last chapter tells us how she was bought. There's no doubt whatsoever that Boaz loved her. And because he loved her, he intended to marry her. But he couldn't just simply say, I love you, and because I love you, I'll marry you. I'll make the arrangements. We'll get married this time next week. Oh, no. The claims of the law had to be met. There was absolutely no way that Ruth could meet the law's demands. The law legislated against her. But Boaz could. And Boaz did. And all the way down that last chapter of this book, you see Boaz facing each 
and every demand of the law, meeting all the law's demands, and then paying the price of her redemption. It is no accident, you know, that the first time Boaz is mentioned in the book, we are told that he was a mighty man of wealth because only a rich man could redeem. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, says Paul, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Redemption was a costly business. Not redeemed, says Peter, with corruptible things such as silver and gold but with the precious blood of Christ. Costly business. And so he paid the price of her redemption. And he put her in his family. And had she been living today, she would have gone home that night singing, Now... I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Hallelujah. What a Savior. 